RBP have seen this year a trend in GP practices making a loss on their personal administered drugs. This shouldn't be happening. So in this week's episode, Jenny talks to Richard and Tracy from Ash Lane Consultancy about the solution to this issue. They discuss why it's fundamental for a good process to be put in place at the practice that will ensure a profit is being made in respect of PPA claims. Also, they're going to give you tips for the upcoming flu season and how to ensure that you are not losing money on the cost of the drugs you're purchasing. If you want to learn more about how you can maximize your PPA income and profits, Richard's going to be hosting a live webinar on this topic on Tuesday, the 3rd of October at 12.30. So please see in the show notes the link for this and click on it and register for free. Accountancy on Prescription by RBP, one of the leading firms of medical specialist accountants. We know what you find tough, but don't you worry, as we know our stuff. Welcome to this week's episode of Accountancy on Prescription. I am Jenny Stone, one of the partners at RBP, and I am delighted to be joined today with Richard and Tracy from Ash Lane Consultancy. Hi, Richard and Tracy. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning. I have to tell you, I'm really excited about this week's episode. So we're going to be discussing personally administered drugs, which is relevant for every single GP practice. I know, so myself, Kate and Katie, when we've been going out to see our clients with their 23 accounts, one of the trends that we've seen is a lot of practices are making a loss on their drugs that they're buying in, which of course, you're going to tell us should not be happening. So really, just before we get into this episode, Richard and Tracy, Tracy, do you want to just do a brief introduction about yourselves and also why you set up Ashlane Consultancy? Yeah, hi, thanks very much. So we've been running Ashlane Consultancy now for over 10 years. It's a small business just run by ourselves with a small team. It all started, well, before then, really, when Tracy was a practice manager. And like so many other practice managers, was a bit perplexed by the whole area of claiming for drugs. But we dug into it, we investigated, we researched it, we discovered that there are so many pitfalls, so many ambiguities and and areas of confusion, but we now thoroughly understand it and we, for the last 10 years, have been helping practices improve their processes and ultimately claim more money and make more profits from their drugs. Yeah, absolutely, which is great, which is why I think this episode is going to be brilliant. If we take a step back, because I know when I go to see practices, and just recently I've had a couple of practices where they've had new practice managers, and we've talked about drugs. And of course, like you've just said, Richard, people don't know what they can claim. So can you just do a sort of an explanation of what are personally administered drugs and what are the FP34 claims? Okay, so I'll try and answer that one as briefly as I possibly can. (laughs) So It all stems back to your statement of financial entitlements, which was pre this contract, and it's continued to go on for many years. So briefly, they are vaccines, and those are vaccines given under NHS contract, and they have to be purchased. So think about flus, think about hep A's, typhoid, but also Ducarol is given under NHS contract as well. So that's the first thing. 
injections, any injection that leaves the practice in somebody is probably the best way to think about it. That is a personally administered item. So if it is delivered by injection and you have purchased it, you can claim it. Coils and pessaries are personally administered as well. Anesthetics are reimbursable. So in stiller gel, xylocaine spray, those are all personally administered. And then sutures are personally administered as well, but only certain sutures. And that does include skin closure strips, six millimeter by 75. The biggie that isn't, and I will repeat, it is not, 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 not a personally administered item is Nexplanon. Nexplanon, the subcutaneous contraceptive implant, is not a personally administered item. And you should never sort of send that off to prescription services if you are a prescribing only practice. Now, we are just talking about personally administered is obviously both prescribing only and dispensing practices can claim those. But although a dispensing practice could claim Nexplanon, they have to treat it as a dispensed item. And the FB34 claims is how you get paid. So you purchase these items, you've used them, then you have to retrospectively claim for the reimbursement. And that's done at the end of the month or the beginning of the start of the new month on a form that's called the FP34. It's sent to the practice in advance. They collate everything, complete that, send it off. And then two months later, they receive a statement on PCSE, which is the drug statement. And that's for the amount of money that they've claimed. Because in practices, you get payments for lots of different things. But what you're doing with prescription services, you're basically saying to them, hey, I've bought this drug. I've used it on a patient. Please, can I have the money back? That is all we are doing with prescription services. So basically, you are sending an invoice. Every prescription, your FP34 appendix, it's an invoice for the cost of the drug. You can only claim it if it has been used on a patient. Is for all those flus that got destroyed. Sorry, yes. that is a cost to the practice. No, absolutely. And I think some of the practices when we talked about flu, well, one, I think with COVID, sort of drugs got left in fridges and went out of date and they obviously then got thrown away. So there was a loss of money there. But I know some practices have said with flu where they've overordered and they're not being able to send them back. Obviously, they haven't given them, so they can't claim anything. Can I ask, are things like dressings that practices buy in, are they claimable? Dressings, tablets, items that are free of charge from central supply, none of those are claimable. So your dressings and your tablets, you've got to treat as a consumable, really and truly. Yes. Even salbutamol nebules that everybody asks me about, they're not personally administered. You would just get it sent back as disallowed if you're a prescribing only practice. If you're a dispensing practice, you could get a wrong movements on that prescription. And then also those items that are free of charge from central supply, you absolutely need to understand what they are. Because if you accidentally get a prescription, is you might submit that and you might get paid. And that is incorrect. You need to pay that money back. We have seen practices that unfortunately have fallen foul of that and have to pay a lot of money back. Yes. So one of my tips for practices is that often the person doing the claim is different from the person who orders in supplies. Yeah. So that person may not know what's been purchased and what hasn't. So my tip would be try and get your arms around both of these things or get these people to work closely so they've both got an appreciation of what's actually coming into the practice and where it's coming from. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think some practices talk about making sure they're looking at their stock, they're knowing what stock they've got, and then even kind of ticking off and going, yeah, we've used this and we've claimed it. No, absolutely. Can I ask you, because I know lots of practices that go, and I I think you're right, I think some of the downfall is that practices don't fully appreciate what they can and can't claim. You've got a list somewhere. Have you got somewhere on your website that you've got information about that? Well, firstly, what what, what makes something claimable? Traces describe the kind of drugs and items. Well, actually, there's a NHS website called the Dictionary of Medicines and Devices. Just Google DM plus D. And that allows you to look up anything and just check whether it's claimable or not. So we actually download that in its entirety and use that in all of our work. There's over 3,000 items on there. Wow. (laughs) Publishing that as a list, frankly, isn't that helpful (laughs) because nobody can wade through that. So the best advice really is, Use the guidance that we've kind of provided here. And then if you're unsure about something, check on the DM plus D. And there's a phrase on there when you've drilled into it for any particular drug, it'll say attracts an administration fee. And that's the key phrase that means it's claimable. So, yeah, that's the best resource, really, if anyone's in doubt about what is and is not claimable. Brilliant. No, that's really helpful. And can I ask you, so so how much money are we talking about for kind of these drug payments and, and these reimbursements? Well, I mean, it varies enormously because the amount of money depends enormously on the practice, the services they're providing, the patient demographics. But to give a ballpark for a 10,000 patient practice, 50 to 70,000 pounds per year would be the income for these drugs. But if your figure, your practice is less than that, it doesn't mean it's wrong. It may be down to other factors. Equally, if it's more than that, that doesn't mean you're claiming for everything. Because again, it just depends on on the services and the demographics. But that just gives you a sense of scale. The other thing I would emphasize is a very large chunk of that, potentially half or more, are down to your flus alone. So if there's one thing you need to focus on and make sure you've got absolutely right, it's your flus. Yeah, absolutely. And I know when we go out to practices, so we always look at and we always talk to practices and we look at kind of what they've had drugs reimbursed. So the monthly figures, what that total amount is. And then we look at what they've spent on vaccines. So we always strip out kind of all the consumable items as all non-reimbursable. And then we show kind of what is drugs as reimbursable. And normally I'm going to practices and in the past we would be saying you should be making a profit, you know, anywhere between, I think we've seen practices anywhere make between sort of 20 and 30% profit. But can I ask you, are all drugs, are all the personally administered drugs profitable or are there some that aren't? I know practices talk about Zolodex because that's a really expensive drug and they don't want to end up, you know, not claiming a Zolodex drug. So, okay. So I spent hours talking about this. So a few years ago, didn't matter where you bought Zolodex from, you would make a healthy profit because everybody charged the same amount of money. You'd buy it for about £182, you'd get £235 back. That's your basic price before they do a calculation on it. But overall, you were making about £45 profit per injection. You are still making that profit, but you have to go to the supplier that holds the license for that item. If you go to second line suppliers, then what will happen is they have to make profits and they've had to buy it from the same place that you would buy that person that holds the license and you can make a loss. I've seen practices making losses of £130 where they should be making a profit of 50 Yes. So it isn't just enough to say Zolodex you make money on. Now, 
if you buy Zolidex in, Zolidex, Prostat, Decapeptil, well, Decapeptil, you do make less, but all of those and Stalidex as well, you're going to make a profit of between 113 and sort of now with Stalidex over 200 pounds profit per patient per year. Now, a Zolidex costs or a Prostat costs in the region of about 180 pounds plus fat. So you can, we don't want you to, but you could lose one yes. out of every four and you would you would just about be making a loss. It's not enough just to buy it in at best price. You've also got to know that it's being tracked through. So we want clinicians to use templates. We want searches to be looking for procedures or medication and them being followed through. It's so hard and it's so many people involved. We find so many of these Zolidex and Denosumab and all sorts of things being missed. I'm focusing on Zolidex. I think it's because you said it's Zolidex. Said it, there, is no, there, is no, there is no difference between Zolidex, Decapeptil, Prostat, Saladex. There are clinical differences. That's a whole thing in itself. Is what we're talking about is there are profitabilities on all of those items. Denosumab and Nibido are touch and go. Nibido, you definitely make a loss on. That's a testosterone injection. And Denosumab, you can make a loss on. They've just changed the price. Everybody was making a loss. And like anything, they've just changed the price. And some surgeries are just about pulling a profit. And most are still making a loss. There is a further complication. I'm getting quite technical now, but there is a further complication with denosumab, nabido, and inclisiran, which is a new one that's coming on now. It's been moved into primary care. In that in terms of recording, even with templates, there isn't a specific code to record that item. Where we have injection of vitamin B12 for hydroxycobalamin, all you can use is subcutaneous or intramuscular injection. So you have to look at how you're going to find those items. Yes. Um, I I think think we would always say to a practice, yes, these things are profitable. But before you start changing your policy and purchasing them, make sure you've got a really rigorous process for managing yes. your PAIs and your claims. And I think that's what's really key, because I know when I've been to practices and, you know, we'll be looking at this and I'll be like, oh, I don't think, like you said, coding. So where the coding's been done and when you've got, you know, if you've got locums that come in and out of practices that might end up using something and then that's not been coded or, you know, so I think you're absolutely right. What's really key is having really strong processes in place to make sure that you're not losing money. I don't know all the technical terms for all the drugs. I always hear practices talk about Zolidex, because that seems to be what I hear is that that's an expensive drug to lose. lose But all the others, B12s I hear, but all the others, (laughs) that's gone straight over my head. (laughs) But with very few exceptions, all PAIs are profitable. At the other end of the spectrum, we talked about expensive drugs, but the very cheap drugs like lidocaines, they might only be 20 pence each. Yes. You get a dispensing fee for them. So suddenly that 20 pence drug, well, you could be getting three pounds of, of income for it. Yes. Tracy's now going to jump in because you're going to talk about the exceptions of things. I I did. I mentioned the (laughs) Nibido denosumab. Those are primarily the ones that are very difficult to make profit. You can't, basically. I have seen, I have to say, literally in the last day or so, I've had a surgery who with denosumab had a fabulous discount. They have lost their fabulous discount, but they're still getting a really good discount on it. So, you know, on the whole, it's always 
The key thing is know how much you are paying for something and also know how much you're going to get back in terms of basic price. If they are the same, is then just be a little bit careful is if they are less, you are going to make a profit. So I guess we once again bring back this point about bringing these things together. In practices where these things are happening in isolation, the purchasing, the using, the claiming, things get fragmented. Our methodology, the one we kind of recommend and implement for our our practices, is, is where it brings it together. So you've got visibility. You know what profit you're making. You know what income you're going to get. And therefore, you can spot if a locum comes in and starts making mistakes, you'll spot it straight away because things will always change. It's about how quickly you can spot errors and correct them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that I suppose why we've been sort of really focused on sort of the PPA is normally we go to practices every year. Most practices will be making a profit. So we don't kind of think any more of it. We'll look at practices if they've made a loss and say there's obviously issues with your PPA claims. But one of the things that we have been seeing as we've been going around to see our clients with their 23 accounts is so many of them are making a loss on the vaccines they're buying in. And when profits are falling already, you don't need to be adding to that by making a loss on PPA claims. And I know when I've spoken to practices, they put it all down to it's flu or overordered and we couldn't send them back. But I know, Richard, when you and I had a brief conversation, there there was a bit more to it. So do you want to just have a chat about what is causing this loss and what have been some of the issues this year? I'll start off and then I'll hand over to Richard because I'll just cover the historic stuff. Is historically, flus have been I should quite rightly say, very profitable. In 2018-19, so I am going very historic, you would pay about £3.60 for a flu vaccine and you would make £6. Now, I'm not talking about the CQRS and the enhanced service payment. I'm talking about just the PAs. So you would make £6 profit. Then they split them. So we had the overs and the under 65s. And we had two things happen. One is that the price went up. The discount went down, fair enough, but also the profitability started to be squeezed. So when I talk about the actual profitability now, so the amounts went up, £9.79 was the reimbursement rate. This is a trivalent. This is way back. And you're buying them. So the profitability started instead of £6, you started to be making £5. Yes. Now you're making £4, but the cost of the item, where it was £3 and then it's gone up to 8 and and so on. I mean, I'm, I'm doing an average here. Yes. It's now over £11 and yes. your profitability wow. can be sort of £3.50, £4.50, depending on how much they're going to take back in terms of the clawback. We haven't talked about how you calculate how much you're going to get back because there's a bit of a calculation going on. So you've got all of those things. You know, it's a perfect storm, really. And then on top of that, they talked about vaccine hesitancy last year. Everybody felt like I actually became vaccinated for a charity. And honestly, people were becoming like human pincushions. They were literally coming in and have another one. And last year, there was a real pushback. Everyone's had enough, haven't they? So all of those things came at the same time. Profitability actual profitability went down, costs went up, and patients just disappeared. They did go to the pharmacies as well, but the pharmacies, you know, they've got their own pressures. But overall, the numbers vaccinated went down. 
And I think a lot of practices have said that, that they actually had ordered based on the previous year. Because I think there was a year when everybody, you know, was worried about COVID. Everybody came and had their flu vaccine. So what we saw was practice flu income that for giving the flu vaccine, the the enhanced service shot up. And then, of course, this year that income has gone down. And of course, what practices said was is they ended up over ordering on their flu. And you can only give something like 10 percent back. So they couldn't send back. And so that's kind of been what. It's explained to me is the reason for the loss, but I think, Richard, you're going to add some more to it, aren't you? Well, I'm just going to kind of emphasize the key points here. So firstly, flus are over half the income for the year. They're more than that in terms of profit, so potentially three quarters of the profit. So therefore, it requires a lot of attention all year round. About this time of year is when practices are ordering the flus for next year. So these are the things to consider. Firstly, which supplier are you going to go with? You need to get offers from the different options. Well, you need to calculate, first of all, the profit you'll make based on what they're offering. I can only say from experience that sometimes they'll give you figures that are not complete. So make sure you do your own calculation and understand what your figures are going to be. But then you now need to take a risk-based approach because you can get excited about the profits you'll make and how many you're going to give, but always consider the risk of not knowing how many you can actually give. So it'll always be a figure plus or minus a certain percentage. Well, the disbenefit of overordering and being left with stock is huge. You can only return 5 or 10%. And after that, you've got a big cost of writing off the entire cost of that vaccine. The disbenefit of underordering is you forego some of the income and profit. So you need to be conservative when I'm talking about financially how many to order and take that into account. And certainly, if it's something that you can negotiate a better figure for, that percentage that you can return penalty-free is a really important figure. So yes, it's it's the choice of of, a vaccine. It's the number you order. And finally, just consider the service you're going to get from the suppliers, because reliability of on-time delivery is absolutely key. So you need to know or decide who you think you'll get the best service from. And Yeah, it's not a trivial decision. So for sure, put a lot of effort into that. That's at this time of year. Then you're getting into the delivery phase. So that's obviously coming up. Again, it's something to involve the entire practice with. Every member of staff can be incentivized, can understand the importance of reaching as many patients as possible. So at every touch point of patients with the practice staff, they should be checking whether it's appropriate to give them a flu vaccine. If it is, Don't put them off. Don't send them away to come back later. Have the arrangements in place to be able to give them a vaccine straight away. You might have somebody, a member of staff, literally on standby with vaccines all ready to go so that as soon as a patient's had a consultation, if it's appropriate for them to have a vaccine, they can have it there and then. And make sure the communications are are really comprehensive, broadcast communications, personalised communications to patients. You know, do everything you can. It's really important having purchased these vaccines to make sure you use them. So that's what happens in the flu season. And then there's more to do because you've then got to make sure you claim correctly. Now, this is so important. Last year, we check the claims of every practice in the country because they're so important. So any practice, we can tell them whether they've claimed correctly because we look at what they're claiming and what's been available. Last year, 1,900 practices claimed the wrong flu. It was underpaid, a total of £3.2 million. Wow. So that explains a lot of the losses that we're seeing. Wow, that's huge. So that's another chunk. So they've got to claim the right vaccine and they've got to claim the right quantity. 
We've got countless practices, in fact, not the majority, but certainly a very significant number of practices that contact us have had problems with claiming incorrectly their flus. So yes, having purchased the right flu, done the right deal, done everything you can to give them to patients, you've then got to make sure you claim correctly. So that's clearly going to happen through the flu season. The final part is checking that you're paid correctly. Yes. Because when practices have been paid for the wrong flu, maybe they've made a mistake. Maybe the mistake's been made in the processing of their claim. But either way, if they don't check and have a process of reconciling, they might be impacted by payment issues. So there you go. That takes you all the way into the spring. Oh, lots of steps. And, yes. And then, and then you're almost gearing up ready for the next season. For the next so season. Year-round programme. I was just going to add a couple of things that might just help some practice, because that's an awful lot to take on. When you're ordering, within practice, it's, it's what, how do you order? What do you order for next year when you haven't even given this flu season? What I would say is look to see what you've claimed over previous years. And more often than not, is you'll see a trend. You know, you might be ordering 1,600 one year and 1,700 the next year and 3,000 the next year and so on. And then 2,000 and thinking, well, Look to see what you actually gave because it's surprisingly similar. Yes. And you can you can pretty much map it. You can map it in 2021 when you used all of them and started using free ones from Central Supply. So look back to see what you gave, not what you ordered, what you gave. I think that's really key because I think what a lot of people say is oh, we're going to order less than what we did last year, but actually nobody talks about how many did we give. <laughs> exactly. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, what do you claim? You've got a tiny little box to write it in. And if you look at the invoice, the invoice shortens it. And remember that it is a handwritten thing quite often, unless you're System 1. But System 1 had similar issues at times. It's often handwritten if it's emis. Is look at the packaging. Get the boxes. So when they come in on the first time you claim, look at it. Don't leave any words out. So I'm sorry to do this. It is for the over 65s. It is adjuvantive quadrivalent influenza vaccine surface antigen inactivated. Don't leave any words out. The things that Richard talked about with 3.2 million was because people wrote fluad tetra. Fluad tetra oh, wow. is actually one of those things that I've just said. The previous year, people wrote fluad instead of fluad tetra. So they got paid £9.79 instead of £11.88. Weirdly, wow. it was another three million. Prior to that, the under 65s, those that bought Influvac subunit Tetra, and it happened to be Mylan at the time, they should have been paid £9.94. If they shortened that to Tetra Mylan, they got £8. If they shortened it to Influvac subunit Mylan, they got £5.22. So wow. overall, it is look at your box. Write what's on your box. And if you write what's on your box, it'll feel, you'll be sort of writing it as tiny as you possibly can, (laughs) as clearly as you possibly can, but you will making, I've just done it for a surgery just this morning. It was £5,000. Wow. I mean, I don't know about this and I suspect there are so many people listening that will have gone, oh, I just wrote down what I wrote down last year, what I write down every year on the form and will not have known that that is making a difference to what they are receiving and being paid and must explain why 
a trend we are seeing. And it's literally, I know when we started to see our clients this year, Katie came into me, she goes, Jenny, can I just ask something? Are you seeing this with drugs that practices are making a loss? Because they shouldn't be making a loss, but it could just be something as simple as you're not writing the full description. And I won't be able to repeat any of that that you said, Tracy, but (laughs) (laughs) that's blown me away. So if people are listening to your podcast, driving home, they might want to pull over and take notes. (laughs) (laughs) Just get the box. Just get the box. Just get the box. That's what I'm going to start telling my clients. And then the final thing is reconcile because is we're talking about practices losing money. And I've got practices that unfortunately have massively overclaimed and they have to pay that money back. Yes. You know, they have to sign every single month to say that they are claiming what they have purchased. And if they have overclaimed, then that is NHS money and it needs to go back. On a secondary point is you'll look at it as an accountant and go, oh, you've done really well this year. <laughs> From then on, you'll be going, well, why didn't you do as well as you did this last yes. year? So reconcile. If you've bought 2,000 drugs and you've got 200 left, it's A, you can return those fabulous. But also you should have claimed for 1,800 and only 1,800. Think about how these things are being claimed and when they're being claimed. And I think one of the difficulties practices have is that you get your drug statement from PCSE and all it says is drugs. And then you've got a figure. And so for a practice manager that's looking at that going, oh, okay, well, yeah, I've had my drugs money this month. And they'll just go, yep, I've had it. Not gone, actually, was this what I claimed and have I had the right amount money? So is that quite difficult to reconcile? So the heart of your question, it gets the the heart of our methodology for practices, which is... Well, I guess uh, as as their accountants, you would absolutely endorse the fact that you should always know how much money you're going to get so that when you receive it, you can tell if it's correct. Absolutely. So we call this revenue assurance. So the the revenue assurance is about process because you've got to do it every month to know how much you're going to be paid so that two months later when you are paid, you can immediately confirm, yeah, it's correct. Or if it's not, even if it's just by a small amount, you can be aware of that and identify why it's incorrect. Is it a major problem? Is it a one-off? Is it a trend? And you can fix it. So yes, yeah, so for our practices, we, we provide them with this revenue assurance system that allows them to do that. So they know before the claim is posted off how much they're going to be paid. So two months later, it can be reconciled, both the amount, the number of items, the split between the GPs, it's all there. So they're completely in control. So we've spent a lot of time talking about flu because obviously that is a big part of the claims. But are there issues that you see regularly that practices deal with with the FP34 claims? So the answer is yes. But what you need to do is ensure that anything other than flus is also looked after both internally. So you've got to look at the processes and the searches to make sure that everybody is able to do what they need to do and also that things are spotted if somebody needs to be trained is that's probably the best way to put that yeah and that's not just for those items that are injectables that need prescriptions but also the travel vaccines as well travel vaccines are picking up and if you're a system one practice use the system one fp34 report that will pick up everything but please And this is really important. Use usual GP. Don't use registered GP. That's system one practices. When you run the system one FP34 report, there's a little toggle button 
It's so small, use usual GP. If patients are registered with the practice, they could suffer with the pooled list issue. I'll let Richard explain that in a moment. EMIS practices, EMIS also has an FP34 report. That EMIS FP34 report looks for medication only. So if somebody has had a typhoid vaccine, you don't need to issue a prescription for that. So they've got a typhoid vaccine. You don't need to issue a prescription and print it, but you do need to put it into medication if you're using the EMIS FP34 report. To be honest, I reckon write your own searches for EMIS practices for these things. Make a big difference. That's where we find a lot of money. So check your processes. Make sure your searches look for procedure or medication and do the same for volume vaccines and then for emails practices and then use the system one FP34 miscellaneous report, but use usual GP. And my tips would be, firstly, just briefly on the pool list, one of the checks to do is to make sure that everything you're claiming is against a named GP. A pool list is a, as if you like a kind of practice generic one, but that can't be used for any claims. So both the FP10 prescriptions and the appendix must always have a named GP. So the kind of measures Tracy's talking about are things that the FP34 administrator needs to do to kind of sweep up the errors. But if you can minimise errors occurring in the first place, their job is so much easier. All they're then doing is collating and sending. But that requires all the clinicians to be thoroughly briefed on what they should be claiming, so to know what's claimable, and then to to just do things as accurately as they can. So that's coding things correctly. It's remembering to do the FP10 prescription. The more the clinicians can do that, the fewer errors you'll have to then try and correct. That's great. I mean, I think what I've taken from just chatting to you two today is that PPA claims are very complex. And what we're seeing is it's very easy to lose money on the vaccines that you're buying in. Can I just ask you, because obviously your whole business is set up to help practices with their PPA claims. Do you want to just have a quick chat about the services that you offer and how you've been helping practices with sort of looking at PPA claims? Yeah, I'd love to. And as I mentioned, we've been doing this for over 10 years and the service we provide has evolved over that time. But it's always remained focused on this area of managing drugs, claiming for drugs and then being paid for drugs. Those three phases, there's so much to do at practice that's kept us very busy in all that time. What we provide to practice is a service and the service is really to bolster the team, to support them because they only have to do this once a month, 12 times a year. So just maintaining that level of expertise is really tricky for any practice, even a large one. So we provide that really in-depth expertise to help them ensure they've got a robust process, they know what to claim, they have a a process each month for collating the FP34, and then we provide the revenue assurance platform that means that that claim is tracked all the way through to payment. And that's what it's called revenue assurance because that's what it provides, that peace of mind that this significant amount of money is all correct. But it's also that safety net that if there are issues, well, firstly, we'll detect them very quickly. We know what the issue has been caused by and we can help fix it. So in the past, practices have suffered from a loss of income and very often been completely unaware of it. If it's a sort of modest amount over many months, they might literally not know it's, it's, it's gone missing. We can nip that in the bud. 
we can detect it and correct it before it has a significant impact. So that's ongoing service for practices backed up by the training and the ad hoc support and the advice if they need it. And finally, when a practice comes to us, we put all these things in place and we can also look retrospectively. We can look at their historic claims and actually see if they've had problems in the past and recover that money for them. We can generate a back claim and we can go back up to six years. Yes. So for some practices that have had you know, big issues, that can be a lot of money. And that's obviously worthwhile for them as well. And I know when we met, you showed me some slides of kind of what you do and it looks fantastic. And I think for the fee that you charge, I think for practices where I see the amount of practice, the money that practices have lost this year, you know, if they had somebody like you doing it and making sure that they were writing exactly what the flu vaccine was on, on would have made a big difference. So for all of you listening, if you are very interested in Richland Tracy's service, then we will put, if you're happy for us to, your contact details into our show notes. And obviously, if you're clients of RBP, then obviously you can get in contact with myself or Kate and Katie. We'll be happy to sort of put you in touch. Richard Tracy, thank you so much. This has been so helpful. I think just the flu and the fact that are you writing down what's on the box? I think that is probably going to be a big explanation of why so many clients have made a loss and something what seems so simple. It's been lovely to have you on and I'm really grateful for you giving your time today. And for all of those listening, if you've enjoyed the podcast, then please do share this with your colleagues and rate, like and subscribe. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jenny. Thank you. You have been listening to RBP's Accountancy on Prescription podcast. For any updates, please visit www.rbp.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at RBPCA. The contents of this podcast is for general guidance and informational purposes only and does not constitute any form of advice. The information provided by RBP is of a general nature. Appropriate and tailored advice or independent research should be obtained before making any decisions. RBP does not accept any liability for any loss or damage which is incurred from you acting or not acting as a result of listening to Accountancy on Prescription.